We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to A Taste of Romamu, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Romamu, please visit romumu.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Throughout the Torah this morning, the Torah is reading this morning from Parshat Shemini. It can be found on page 632, chapter 10, verse 1. The story of Nadav and Aviyu appears not fewer than three times in the Torah. Parshat Shemini is essentially the, the, the moment when everything that we've been waiting for happens. Meaning, Parshat Shemini is what we were working towards in the end of the book of Exodus, when when we were at Sinai and God gives us Torah and then we're given in the end of the book of Exodus the Mishkan, the tabernacle. The Mishkan is not operational until this moment. There are seven days of installation. The Shiva Yemeha Miluim, the seven days of Miluim, of installing this, making this Mishkan operational. And then on the eighth day, which of course there is no eighth day, it's the first day after the seven days, right? Calling the first day of the first of the second week, the eighth day is it's the, it's a big day, though. It's a celebration. We're told in the Midrash that it's the first day of Nisan, the first day of the month of Nisan, and it's a day that took ten crowns. It was so special because, you know, it's like it was a great day. It was like the, the microcosm of the macrocosm. Everything was happening. We'd worked towards it. And of course, on that day, it was on that day that the two sons of Aaron, uh, is we begin in chapter 10, and Nadav and Aviyu, the two sons of Aaron, each take their own incense or fire pan and place in it fire and then place on it coals of incense, incense burning. And they bring this before God, which is an Eish Zarah, the strange fire. A Sherlotzi Vautam that was not commanded of them. And a fire came out from God and consumed them and they died before God. This is a story of trauma and tragedy and it's a story of, um, depending on how you read it, it's a story of, of either inappropriate passion, unbidden, right? It was inappropriate, it was illegal, it was something that wasn't commanded of them. They're either heroes because they had the courage to be honest with what they felt and experience ecstasy, or they're villains because they broke the law, depending on the period of, of history you're living in, whether it was appropriate to be like Nadav and Avihu or to see your opponents as Nadav and Avihus. So, but we really don't know what they did other than what the text tells us, which is they brought this fire. And um, in some way, in some very powerful way, this Parsha is in the middle of the Torah. It is the Parsha that is the centerpiece between the first half of the Torah and the last half of the Torah. And as such, it is almost as if embedded in the middle of the Torah, in the most, in the most important place, there is the reality of, of things that happen that we don't know or can't plan for, that we don't understand. As if the centerpiece of the whole book of Leviticus, which is about order, is 
chaos at the core of a world that we try to order and make orderly, you know, in the core of a world that we try to make predictable is the unpredictable, the uninvited, the eruption of a situation that we could not have foreseen or could have envisioned, a government that we didn't vote for, a reality that we didn't expect, an illness that arrives, something at the core of a world that we try as we might in the book of Leviticus to put into a really Ikea-esque tabernacle where everything fits and everything has a right angle is a story of, of absolute mystery. And so what do we do with this story? So again, as I said, we do with this story a number of things. They are either villains or they are heroes. For the rabbis who, who were certainly opposed to antinomianism, meaning anti-law, someone who breaks the law, this was a story that was cautionary. Be careful not to go outside of what we, the rabbis, have said is the appropriate way to worship God. There's an orthodoxy. Right? And in that reading, these are bad boys. In the reading of the rabbis, they were drunk or they were um, arrogant. They were usurpers. They were the Hasidim in the 18th century who danced and did somersaults in their ecstasy. They are the priestesses or they are the renewal nicks, or they are anyone who prays or worships differently than us. They are the ones who are, God forbid, doing something new. And as Moshe Sofer, the Chassam Sofer, said, one of the great rabbis, the Hungarian rabbis of the 18th century, excuse me, the, the, the uh, 19th century, Chadash Asur Torah, they are doing something new, and new is prohibited by Torah. The next read, of course, is that they're not bad boys. They are saints. They are the ecstatics. They're the ones who are wholly consumed for the sake of the divine, that they were rewarded by being taken by God. That's a reward. And martyrs were willing to give their lives at the inspiration of Nadav Naviyu. We would give our lives for the sake of the divine. We'll give our lives. Bekrovai Ekadesh, as Moses said, I am sanctified by these. They are, as Rabbi Bini Lau points out in his commentary, potentially those who are taking up the mantle of their father. Aaron, who was embarrassed by the proceedings. Aaron was supposed to be the one to bring fire down from heaven, but he didn't succeed until Moses came along, and they both together went, and the brothers in the very next verse say, no, we're going to take up our father's honor. Or maybe this whole exercise is an exercise that my friend, friend of mine this week said, of making sense because no matter if it's a good explanation or a bad one, just having something that makes sense is what you need when trauma happens. Maybe this whole exercise of rabbinic and post-rabbinic and me and you and all of us looking at the text and going, oh, we get it. It's just a way of us exposing our vulnerability as humans who by nature need patterns and need things to fit into neat categories even when things don't fit even when things are outside of the boxes that we make, even when things 
are defying every imaginable mind construct and spiritual construct that we can produce. Maybe this whole thing is at the heart of the Torah's winking to us to say, you know this whole thing that we're trying to do? Wink, wink. It doesn't really make sense, ultimately. And that we have to hold that. And we have to pick it up after it doesn't make sense. We have to find a way, as Danny Dayan said on Yom HaShoah Wednesday night, he said that those who said that the land of Israel was a reward for the Shoah, for the Holocaust, got it wrong, of course, theologically and on every single level, but it was a response to that tragedy. And when read that way, it isn't and doesn't leave us with any comfortable pat answers for why the inexplicable erupts into the middle of the sanctuary of our hearts, lives, nation, community, history. But it leaves us with a very clear mandate. One that we don't necessarily have to take up, and we can't blame those who don't, but what do the ones who are in the aftermath of, the notarim, the ones who are remaining in the remainder, the miyuteret, the notar, what do we do? So Torah goes out of its way after the two sons of Aaron have been taken to call the remaining sons, Elazar and Itamar, the ones who remained. That's their label. They're the remaining sons. Imagine going through life that way. You're the ones who remained, the notarim, the leftover ones. But it focuses a spotlight on them in the next verses after the story concludes. And instructions are given to them and said to them, here's what you are to do as notarim, as the ones who come after, the ones who have a responsibility to lift up and to honor the, the moment. So if you fast forward to, to verse 12, chapter 10, on page 635. Take the offering that is left behind. This morning we were reading about a response and to the strength of continuing something that was interrupted. And what it is to be a bridge between a moment and, and its aftermath. What it means to take up what isn't finished. In the lives of those who've come before, in the lives of those around us, in our own life, how is it that we can show up the very next day and get done what needs to get done. One of my favorite poems by Oriah Mountain Dreamer speaks of what she wants in a partner or in a life mate. She says, I don't care if your moon is conjunct my moon. I don't care if we have the same interests, we have the same, the same, the same. She goes through all of the things that usually people name as the thing they want in a partner. She says, I want to know that you can get up the next morning after a day where everything came crashing down. 
I want to know that you can be there in the aftermath, in the then what. I want to know that you have that kind of strength, that kind of inner stamina. And God forbid not to say that those who don't are in any way, shape, or form less than Khalila, God forbid. But the Torah is, in a sense, like the Buddha and like all of the great traditions saying that life is, at its core, a dance between chaos and order, between what we cannot control and those things that we can. And the real litmus test, the middle of the Torah says, where will you be the ones who are notarim, the ones who are left over, when you are asked to take up what has not been finished? And how do you do that? So I'm holding that personally in my life this morning. So that's my Torah. I'm hearing that right now very strongly. That there needs to be a bridge between something that you can't hold and that's surprising. And the trust and faith, as I said last night, that there is a plank. And somebody said to me at dinner last night, you know, you didn't tell the story about the plank. You kept talking around the plank last night, the plank, the plank, and you didn't say the story. And the story is this. I was worried about a Tamil Chacham, a sage, whom I saw on a boat. We were both on boats and we could see one another. And I saw that his boat went down. And when I arrived at the shore, I found him sitting on the shore waiting for me, learning Torah. And I came across him and said, Rabbi Akiva was his name. Akiva, what happened? Your boat went down. He said, you know, I saw a plank of driftwood from the boat and I grabbed it. And every wave that came over me, I lifted my head using that plank to get over the wave until I arrived here. Every wave that came over me, I nodded my head. Maybe ascending, assenting to it, saying yes, but still lifting up, even as we say yes to what we want to say no to. This is great wisdom, I think, in the middle of the Torah. Great wisdom in the story that, again, has no real answer, but has one path, as it were, for us to lift up. So this morning, I would like to call forward for this Aliyah, for a blessing, for a strengthening, for a recognizing, for an identification with the path of the morning after, in the aftermath of surprise, of shock, of what we can't know about, that instead of the natural inclination to try to put it into a place, to reach out for a plank and say, this will get me through to the other side. This will lift me up in moments when I feel like I'm submerging. This will be the way forward for me, for my friend, for my family, for whatever it is this morning that are the waves this is good advice from the Torah and from the two brothers, Elazar and Itamar, who are in the aftermath. Bring an offering, a thanksgiving offering that has been left behind and lift it up. Please rise for that Aliyah, if it is your Aliyah this morning. <laughs>